This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now, as football fans, as well as hosts of this podcast, we're always looking for a new story to bring you. So naturally, while we're across the big news as it breaks, we cast the net far and wide to keep our finger on the pulse of what the football family are talking about. So it was no surprise that one of the most common discussions amongst the football community in this country caught my eye when I read the headline in the Raw, the only way to beat the Euro snobs is by supporting the A-Leagues. Of course, we suggest you jump onto the multi-sport digital masthead to read the article yourself. But this week, we'll go behind what motivated him to write what was locally, what is locally, an age-old discussion with the author, Mike Tuckerman. After that, Socceroos and Matilda's Central with Willem. Plenty more news going on around the world, including the Women's Euros, which we'll discuss at various stages throughout the show. But with the Premier League and the other big European competitions scheduled to resume in the next two to three weeks, we thought we'd take a deep dive into the Chelsea takeover with the Athletics' Liam Toomey as the Todd Bowley Consortium's record $4.25 billion takeover ends the Roman Abramovich 19-year era, which saw the club win 21 trophies, including five Premier League titles and two Champions Leagues. Of course, we'll get a question there about Sam Kerr and the uh, the FIFA news, the FIFA uh, news of this week, and we will wrap it up with everything else in stoppage time with Derek. Edge, uh, you're nearly home. You've got a little bit more travelling to do before you get back, but um, plenty going on in the world of football again this week. Certainly was, Rob, and welcome back to Box to Box to all the listeners right around Australia and all over the world, wherever you happen to uh, tune into our uh, little program. Um, Yes, it's um, been a big week uh, for football. I just thought I'd ask you a question off the bat, Rob. Did you enjoy your um, time at the MCG uh, looking at Manchester United, Crystal Palace and Melbourne Victory? Did you have uh, a good time and do you think they're worthwhile events? Yeah, I did. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit more towards the end of the show. But uh, look, it's great to see you know, 75,000 people or thereabouts, 150,000 across two games coming along to see football. I thought the the ground was presented in immaculate condition. Obviously, Manchester United uh, have got the money to, to put on a great show, fantastic light show, fireworks, etc. Um, I got to see it from two different angles. The the victory uh, event, I went along with our good friend Johnny Ocado from Hoyts, uh, who uh, who generously uh, bought a table at the, the Melbourne Victory President's uh, uh, function. So watching it from a corporate perspective is one thing that was a full house sold out event mark bosnich was there talking and uh, um and and a real great atmosphere there and great expectation particularly when chris on economy scored the goal but then i had uh, my brother tim one of my younger brothers with my nephew joey fly down from uh, from sydney specifically it was his birthday present present he's uh, he's only uh, 12 years old and uh, he really wanted to come down and uh, and and the thing was before the game we got there a good hour before the game edge he wanted to buy a scarf or a shirt the scarves were sold out the line for merchandise was 150 meters long i think if they'd had their time again they would have probably would have put two or three different merchandise outlets so you know it was a great atmosphere it was all good there were a couple of mugs uh, that wanted to carry on in particular one 
clown that um, that, that ran through the uh, the palace section at the uh, Punt Road end singing uh, uh, "Glory, Glory, Man United." That fortunately the police and the security uh, uh, got him uh, collared pretty quickly. But yeah, look, I enjoyed both games, and um, and you know I, I'd seen it that with my young nephew um, and his perspective of it, um, you know, stars in his eyes um, was uh, was a, a special moment. I hope you bought him a Melbourne Victory Star uh, scarf there, Rob, because the fireworks for mine started when Jay Barnett played that one-two with Josh Belante, rolled it up the pool table up towards Ben Falami first time in Economides Bank. They were the fireworks for me. That had me uh, had a spring in my step for the for the week right through the Crystal Palace match. So I hope uh, you uh, doing him in the uh, the blue and white of the buck. Well, he had um, a victory scarf. It was an old one uh, going back to the early days, and I think uh, Michael Theoklatos was the goalkeeper on that. Uh, oh, yes. One. It was, uh, it was uh, a very early uh, heritage scarf, let's put it there. So, no, I did. Uh, you'd be pleased that I had him uh, wearing that uh, to keep him warm. Let's have a look at the news this week, guys. We're going to start with some Women's World Cup. FIFA Secretary-General Fatima Samura has told the Australian government to prepare for the impact of next year's uh, World Cup, highlighting participation has historically tripled post-event. Speaking in Sydney to mark the one-year countdown, Samora also said FIFA will consider raising its $60 million prize pool to $100 million. That's, of course, already up from the $30 million that was on offer in France in 2019. Football Australia have to date secured $230 million in federal and state government funding for their Legacy 23 push and will press for more in coming months. So, Michael, they are $55 million short of that initial Legacy 23 push and uh, Fatma Samora was channeling a little bit of you. Edge, I think, you don't know what's coming. Absolutely. I've been saying it since uh, the uh, uh, the bid was successful for Football Australia to win the hosting rights for this uh, Women's World Cup event. It is a massive event. And uh, a little birdie uh, told me that Fatima, after the uh, 2022 FIFA World Cup Qatar, is planning on coming back to Australia and staying here right through until uh, August when the, um, when the Women's World Cup's complete. So uh, that'll be interesting. In itself, and uh, having the CEO of FIFA based out of Australia for six or so months, uh, that'll be interesting. But uh, well done to Fatima for saying the bleedingly obvious. Um, it is going to be uh, an injection of um, uh, desire. Um, it's going to be an injection of inspiration. And women's football will uh, grow off the back of it in a big way. And let's hope the governments just don't want events for uh, the economic impact and uh, global uh, eyeballs that they will generate. Uh, it, hopefully it uh, continues to pump money into the legacy uh, plan and um, we get some great facilities and capacity to take advantage of what uh, is what's going to be uh, an important uh, and pivotal time for women's football in Australia. So bring it on, boys. Football Australia is reportedly considering tightening the screws on cross-code photo ops for touring teams after yet more furor at the site of Marcus Rashford holding a Sharon. While the governing body isn't always responsible for the organisation of exhibition matches, they do have to officially sanction them to go ahead. The Sydney Morning Herald and Vince Regari have reported Football Australia may not sign off on such matches unless those involved agree not to partake in cross-sport PR events. Rob, we're all fans of multiple codes here. Does this get you as angry as it uh, as it does to, to some other some others. I think the thing that annoys me the most is that if you saw the actual Sharon that Marcus Rashford was holding, it wasn't your proper kangaroo brand leather. It was shiny. It was too pointy on the ends. It hadn't been kicked in. If you're going to give him give him the proper thing, oh look, I, I think it's a bit of a laugh, really. I mean, it's uh, for the AFL. 
I've I've lived in Melbourne for 25 years. I, I grew up in rugby league heartland. Um, I've seen the, everything that the AFL conjures to try and uh, make sure that uh, there's a, a 365 day a year calendar of AFL events. And uh, and there'd be a few people in the head office. Ah, oh, look what we got. You know, we got uh, Marcus Rashford, Manchester United. I mean, if if that's um, your uh, your biggest achievement um, during your career at the AFL, well, I think you probably better start working a little bit harder because uh, the fact of the matter is that football is the world game um, and we love the AFL. I'm a huge Collingwood fan. I go, you know, uh, nearly every home game, but uh, but you're allowed to like other sports and you don't have to hijack an opportunity to uh, to uh, put a spotlight. There's no, no way in the world that anyone in the UK is going to pay one ounce more attention to, to our, our fantastic Indigenous game. It's bloody pointless. So, uh, you know, I just find it um, a little bit... Um, laughable really willem that um that people go to all that trouble rather than as as angry to be honest as some people are michael it doesn't really fuss me but we've spoken about your uh fandom and involvement in australian football in the in the 80s and 90s and the uh the the no one screws uh soccer like seven bumper stickers so how do you uh which side of the fence do you sit on here well i just think it's the afl twisting in the knife you know um um i'm older than you willem so i've lived through a time when you know football was discriminated against actively uh AFL had plans to try and suppress the popularity of football. And if Marcus Rashford um, had a bit of a briefing on the narrative of uh, what AFL's done to football, he might have, uh, when they threw him the share, and he might have just stepped to one side and said, I'm not doing that because it's disrespecting um, our sport. Um, I don't like it. Uh, I agree with what Rob had to say. I think it's, uh, I think it's petty. Uh, I think it's nasty. And governments should know better. Great news. Aaron Moy is going to link up with Ange Postacoglu and Harry Kuehl, having signed a two-year deal with Celtic. He joins the club for free after negotiating a release from Shanghai Port last month. Celtic have 22 matches across the league and Champions League between now and the World Cup, so plenty of time for Aaron to get some football into his legs if he's good enough. He, of course, has previous Scottish Premiership experience, having played with St Mirren between 2010 and 2012. And great news as well, uh, Michael, that Mark Birrigidi has joined Dundee United from Central Coast. There's a man who's done his time in the A-League and has been probably above the level for a long time, so so that's a, uh, a foreign move, uh, well-deserved. It is, and uh, I did read with great interest that uh, the Central Coast Mariners and their new uh, chairperson, Richard Peel, put out a, uh, a release saying that they did everything within their power to try and keep him from going to Scotland. So uh, I found that a little bit interesting. And Central Coast Mariners have lost Marcus Urenia as well, who is, I think, uh, probably their best player over the last two years. So... Um, yet yeah, some uh, work for them to do before the A-League. But well done to Mark Birrigetti. He's a good goalkeeper and uh, let's hope that his career can uh, flourish now that he gets an opportunity in the European shop window. Liverpool supporters are yet to be contacted by UEFA's review into the Champions League final. We're now 37 days after Portuguese MP Brando Rodriguez promised to engage all relevant stakeholders. The spirit of Shankly supporters group have said the lack of consultation serves only to undermine further any confidence in the veracity of the independent review. The stated timeline for preliminary findings is the end of September with the final report to be delivered in November, Rob. So still a little bit of time uh, to be uh, to be contacted and for this to play out. Uh, and I suppose what does work in the favour of Liverpool supporters is that earlier this month, uh, a French Senate report exonerated them of any wrongdoing around the final. Yeah, well, that's the good news. But um, if they were taking it as seriously as it needs to be taken, then uh, they would have been in touch with them um, before now. And hopefully, 
this news will be enough to, to put a uh, a poker up their backside and, and make them take it seriously because th- those those scenes were embarrassing for, for France. Um, the response from French politicians at the time was was even uh, more so. It was cruel, uh, particularly to a club like Liverpool. And uh, and the least they do is they need is the respect of a proper investigation and uh, and proper reporting because uh, there was one thing for sure is that Liverpool as a club was profiled before they arrived for that event and uh, and and the, the reaction of the uh, the uh, the law enforcement um, it, it was clear uh, that that was the case so uh, I hope that in the next couple of weeks we're reporting on some positive news and um, and we uh, confirm that you know that this is the last time that that sort of uh, disgraceful uh, officiating and this comes from a former cop myself who has uh, worked at uh, at sporting events um, big sporting events uh, over my uh, my earlier career and a final one from me before we uh, welcome in Mike Tuckerman to discuss the winter festival of football uh, Sam Kerr we know that Sam's done just about everything in the game but this is uh, another one to add to the list she's going to be the first female player to feature on the global cover of FIFA the EA video game of course alongside Kylian Mbappe female players have featured on regionalised covers since women's football was introduced into the game in 2016 Steph Catley uh, in her Matilda's kit broke that ground here uh, in the 2016 edition but Sam is going to adorn uh, the global edition uh, worldwide so that is quite the milestone Rob that's how I got into it Um, and Interestingly enough as well, this is going to be the last uh, year between uh, EA and FIFA. That's a partnership that's been very fruitful. It's gone on for almost 30 years, but just like the broadcast market, uh, FIFA weren't going to tie themselves down with exclusivity uh, in terms of the rights, in terms of the club licensing, the uh, the, the proper players' names and things of the like. So uh, that is the end of a, a very uh, fruitful partnership, as I say. Yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, uh, the, the main point you make there, of course, is that um, Sam Kerr sits alongside Gilliam and Mbappe on the cover. And uh, and also the, 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 the next level down of the story is that all of the women teams will be available to play um, in competitions. So, uh, so the the young girls and the young women, just like you did, Willem, and so many other uh, kids did, boys and girls over the years, uh, hone their uh, their passion for football by playing the video game. Now they'll be able to do it with Sam Kerr picked in their side and uh, and all of the great uh, women's uh, players across the world. So, uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic news. And uh, yeah, credit to where it's due because we do hand out the brickbats uh, often enough um, to. Uh, to give FIFA and EA Sports uh, the bouquet where they deserve it. Okay, you mentioned Mike Tuckerman, Willem, from The Raw. Um, I know you guys have, uh, have read the article, but it, uh, it was uh, fascinating to see, you know, that uh, that headline, the only way to beat the Euro snobs is by supporting the A-Leagues for me because, you know, it's an ongoing, almost com- comedic discussion that we have. And, you know, I know I've got a couple of the usual suspects, mates, that I know, expat uh, uh, English supporters of, of, of the, the big-name clubs that just... Uh, refuse to make an effort to go and they laugh about it and uh, and all the rest of it but how the hell would they know what they're missing when they so ardently refuse to go and watch it well stick around we're going to talk to mike tuckerman next about that article on box to box box to box can you believe it for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, amongst the many platforms we read these days, whether it's an old school hard copy newspaper or a digital publication like The Athletic, which we love on this show, one of our favourites is The Raw. If you don't know The Raw and you're not reading The Raw, then do yourself a favour and get onto it because some of uh, the great copy that's being written in Australia these days is written by the journalists and contributors to, to that digital publication. And one of them is Mike Tuckerman, who this week uh, I was trawling around and found an article that he wrote called the only way to beat the euro snobs is by supporting the a-leagues and to that i say here here it's something that i've been saying for ages and uh, we welcome mike to the show to have a yarn about it how are you mike i'm very well guys thanks very much for having me no not at all and i'm going to talk a little bit later in the show about that winter festival of football which you reference in your article because i went to a couple of the 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 two manchester united games in melbourne and, and yeah it's great to go along there it was fantastic to see uh, victory so competitive as it was with Brisbane against Aston Villa um, up in Townsville as well. But um, the point that um, that I, I've been making for ages to the Euro snobs that I know, and we all know some who wouldn't walk across, or in fact, if there was a game across the street, they'd close the blinds. Um, you know, they, they sort of almost wear it like a badge of honour to bag the A-League. And uh, I'm, for one, sick to death. Yeah, look, and I think that's the the absolute frustration of of pretty much every average A-League fan, isn't it? I mean, we've all, you know, many of us have been watching the A-Leagues for sort of 10, 15 years. And, and as much as this can sort of uh, ebb and flow like any football league around the world, we know uh, just by watching it week in, week out, that uh, often the standard of football uh, that it, that many of these Euro snobs accuse the A-Leagues uh, of having actually is it sort of doesn't exist. And I, I think we saw that with Brisbane Raw really holding their own against Leeds United and uh, Aston Villa and, of course, uh, that wonderful start uh, from Melbourne Victory at the MCG where, you know, obviously they took the lead against Manchester United. That's the sort of football that we see in the A-League sort of week in and week out. But uh, the obvious frustration for everyone is is just managing to convince uh, some of these people who, as you say, do wear almost this ignorance like a badge of honour. It's how do we convince some of these Euro snobs to give the A-Leagues a chance? Mike, we know the, the benefit that comes for the overseas clubs coming to Australia to play these matches financially, and we know uh, the the benefit that, that comes from that. Uh, for Melbourne Victory and Brisbane Raw uh, in playing the likes of United and Leeds. I think where certainly my issue comes into it is when the two international sides come and play out here and it doesn't leave a lot of lot of legacy or anything in particularly uh, beneficial uh, for the league going forward. We've seen that the FA today might mandate the banning of cross-code promotions. Is there maybe a way that they can control that uh, the that we don't see the scenario where if, if where two sides come out and play each other, that if you are going to come out here, uh, you can only play local clubs? Uh, look, potentially. I mean, I, I think it's important to remember who's bankrolling these games in the first place. So um, we've seen a lot of support, obviously, from the various state governments, um, in this case from Queensland, Victoria and Western Australia. Um, look, their interest really uh, isn't particularly in football. Uh, what they care about is tourism. Um, and so these sort of fixtures, particularly ones that do involve the international sides, um, they're real money spinners for local state governments because essentially what they guarantee is that a lot of people will travel, whether it's domestically or even you know, pre-COVID, I suppose, but internationally as well. Um, these kind of games can really tip a lot of with sort of rolling out the red carpet for English Premier League sides. Uh, but in saying that, obviously, if Football Australia is taking a fee or charging a fee, um, for some of these clubs to come down. And as we, as you say, we did see today that 
you know, potentially there's going to be a no Sharon type of a mandate going forward, wherein uh, we, we sort of don't see so many of these uh, cross-promotional events that involve soccer players essentially uh, holding up, you know, Sharon footies uh, and promoting a, a completely rival sport. I think if they believe that they have the power to do that, then I, I don't see why they couldn't necessarily say, look, you do need to play a local side. But in saying that, uh, I think if you look at the ticket sales for for some of these fixtures from the Winter Festival of Football, um, it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, the biggest game, and bearing in mind that it was played on a Sunday afternoon, um, in Queensland at least, was, was the, the fixture between the two EPL sides. So, look, I don't think there's probably a lot of keenness from state governments to to involve A-League sides, but um, I do definitely think it's something that um, Football Australia and the APL uh, in general just need to think a little bit more carefully about going forward. Mike, looking at it from a sort of glass half full perspective, now that we've got a lot of uh, Australian football content under the same broadcaster uh, for the next few years, is there maybe a little bit of reflective glory in having these matches? For example, the Australia Cup starts this week. It always starts at this time of the year and it's often buried sort of in the middle of winter. We've had Man United, Crystal Palace leads, Aston Villa roll through. People are talking about football. They're aware it's on. And then having it all under the same banner of Channel 10, they can sort of cross promote and hopefully uh, generate a little bit more awareness uh, and kickstart that support for the local game that you're after? Yeah, look, I I absolutely do think uh, it is beneficial in that regard. And uh, I actually spoke to someone from Channel 10 a few weeks back and um, they were very keen uh, for these particular fixtures. Um, And I I think one of the positives, and and when you talk about looking at it it with a glass half full type of an attitude, I think the coverage itself um, has been uh, really positive. Um, and I think it's something that um, we all, I think Channel 10 and Paramount Plus uh, were aware that perhaps the coverage last season of the A-Leagues wasn't quite to the standard that they wanted it to be. Um, and having personally spoken to Channel 10 myself, um, they're aware uh, of some of the criticisms around the coverage um, that existed from last season. So I think some of the coverage that we've seen uh, around these friendlies fixtures really bodes well for the new A-League season. And as you say, it is a chance again to sort of cross promote and and maybe maybe instead of us sort of sit here feeling so frustrated that the euro snobs um, refuse to sort of come into the tent, maybe just trying to sort of give them a compelling reason to and and part of that does involve putting clubs like Melbourne Victory front and center at the MCG. So look, I do think that there probably are more positives uh, than negatives to these friendly fixtures, but um, in saying that. I think sort of the frustration that A-League fans feel around Euro snobbery in, in general can be, you know, is really valid and, and, and very legitimate. And having Aston Villa out here certainly provided a little bit more theatre for Charlie Austin's debut. He's only been in the country a week, only just joined up with the Raw, and there was one effort on the sort of edge of the area where it looked like that leg was creaking. He hadn't quite blown the cobwebs out to get it up there. But from what he's said and, and how he's presented himself so far in the press, uh, certainly looks like he's brought the right attitude that you want to see from a marquee signing. Absolutely. And, and look, Charlie Austin's a... a, a Charlie Austin and obviously Nani at, at Melbourne Victory are, are kind of really what the A-League needs. Uh, look, I know that marquee players are, are really very much uh, sugar hits, um, but at the end of the day, you know, A-League clubs need to be commercially viable going forward. I don't think uh, simply putting on a, a game of football involving 22 players in, in the middle of a pitch is really uh, bringing in the sort of numbers that the clubs need um, to sort of continue as really ongoing concerns week in and week out. We really, that's that was a particular problem in Brisbane. So um, Charlie Austin is a terrific get for Brisbane Raw. 
Um, he absolutely did look like he needs to play out the cobwebs. Um, we'll see how he fares against Heidelberg um, in the cup. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, Charlie Austin's the sort of guy, you know, perhaps not a, a, a household name in Australia, but very much the marquee signing that uh, a club like Brisbane Raw needs. And particularly, given some of his comments, um, you know, you can sort of tell just by the way he's spoken to the press that he's not here for a holiday. And so... Hopefully he gets up to speed as, as quickly as possible and, and really starts uh, helping to bring some fans back into to Redcliffe and Suncorp Stadium for the Raw. Mike, those Premier League clubs who are out here definitely go home with a bag full of money. The state governments do swoon over them. I mean, how much scrutiny should there be by football administrators in Australia, the leaders in particular, about the amount of money that went to the Premier League clubs versus the impact it provided on the development of the game. And I know we talk about um, visitation and economic impact and tourism has been the state government's overriding objective here, but surely there's got to be a dividend for football more generally uh, in a time when we're crying out, uh, there's a huge demand and desire for football-specific infrastructure. And would uh, those types of investments be better than uh, just lining the pockets of uh, some of the richest clubs in the world. Yeah, look, I I certainly think they would be better investments, but um, I think what football needs to to be better at, um, and this can be a sort of a state-by-state issue, um, is simply lobbying um, politicians. But uh, look, in in Queensland, uh, we obviously uh, sort of lacked a visit from either of the two national teams for something like four or five years. Um, and it, it effectively the state government uh, in Queensland. Look, I, I don't want to say necessarily that they turn their back on football, but uh, it, they certainly had other priorities. Um, I think the, the the Women's World Cup next year, which Australia is obviously co-hosting with New Zealand, will hopefully change some of those issues. But again, in saying that, it's up to Football Australia uh, and some of the administrators who draw a salary from the game to improve their lobbying, to, to open the right doors and to make sure, uh, you know, that uh, we don't, the game itself simply doesn't roll over um, because we really do need a legacy um, and we can't have what has happened in the past. Again, obviously I'm based in Brisbane, but we can't have another scenario where the Gabba is upgraded for the Olympic Games and then the AFL moves in uh, into a brand, essentially a brand new refurbished stadium, so to speak. We can't have that again. Um, there's a lack of football in- infrastructure, and if you're talking about a city like Brisbane, it is absolutely crying out for a, a boutique rectangular stadium that is not Suncorp Stadium, which is simply too big to be fit for purpose for a club like Brisbane Raw. So I, I, I do think it's incumbent upon the game's administrators to open the right doors um, and to, to really sort of make the case and state the case. We do see all the time... Uh, sports like AFL and the NRL in, in Sydney in particular really being beneficiaries of, of various state and federal government support grants. Uh, so I just uh, I think football needs to just get better at uh, making a case that we also deserve a place at the table. Look, to wrap it up, um, back to the point uh, of your article and, and the reason that we, we got you on, I, I like uh, one particular line in, in, amongst the many that I enjoyed in reading your copy where you wrote, I simply realised as soon as the A-League kicked off that if I wanted to watch football on a regular basis but at a reasonable hour, I had a perfectly adequate reason for doing so right here in my own backyard. And uh, if that's not uh, it summed up in, in one nice little paragraph, if you love football, 
come along. You're welcome. We want you there. And the more of you that come, the more likely it is that the atmosphere that you crave will be created and the standard of the players will improve and you'll be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm a firm believer that our, our football is only as good as the support that we give it. So, uh, look, this is another critical A-League season coming up. I mean, they always seem to be critical, don't they? But um, it's a very important A-League season. Um, it, football in Australia is on an upwards tra- trajectory. We've got a couple of really massive tournaments coming up. Uh, and so, you know, what I would really like to see um, from today going forward is just a few of these people who sort of proclaim themselves diehard football fans, just open your mind, uh, open your wallet and, uh, and look, support the game. Uh, and it doesn't have to be the A-Leagues. You know, there's a bit of talk around what about people who support NPL clubs. That's fine. You know, the NPL up here in Queensland is well supported as well, as I know it is down in Victoria. So, you know, support the game, um, you know, at a, at a more local level than, than just sort of shelling out for a couple of sides really that, uh, you know, you might have a, a, a sort of a connection to because you've been there once as a tourist or, you know, your granddad was from there. I understand, you know, uh, we all supported uh, English clubs or many of us did, um, you know, all, all clubs from around Europe. Um, but look, support football in your own backyard and, and, and don't be, as you say, part of the problem, be part of the solution. Yeah, good on you, Mike. Well said. Uh, well, mate, uh, we'll, we'll get you back on again and we'll watch this coming season with interest and, and see whether uh, any of these, uh, you know, uh, several hundred thousand people who've attended these matches uh, uh, for the, the Winter Festival of Football um, can find it within themselves to uh, to, to come along and, and watch an A-League game, uh, men or women's uh, variety. Mike, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thanks, guys. Okay, Mike Tuckerman from The Raw. Get on The Raw, theraw.com.au. Great copy, great football articles and all sports uh, uh, you'll find there. Okay, stick around after the break. We're going to talk uh, more Matildas and Socceroos. Uh, it's still a couple of months away from the uh, the games for the Matildas against Canada and the New Zealand matches, which uh, will be the final uh, warm-ups for Australia, the Socceroos before they head to the World Cup. But we're going to start talking about uh, who's doing what around the world. Well, we will continue to do that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, great chat with Mike Tuckerman there. Uh, always uh, good to you know put that discussion around uh, that huge group of people who follow football in this country, but still don't make the effort to to follow the uh, the women's and the men's A leagues competitions. Uh, they need to pull their finger out and get to a stadium in this coming season. We're going to talk soccerism Matildas with Willem in a moment, but before we do, stock up and save right now. Of course, you know where to go, Chemist Warehouse, oh, but- because thank you, Willem, for some backing vocals there. The Winter Warrior. Half price Biogland range sale is on now. Get a hold of your curcumin for $27.97. You've got super fish oil, you've got red criddle. If you've got aching joints, Edge, you've got some aching joints from that glittering football career of yours at Heidelberg. Oh, absolutely, yeah. My ankles, knees, you name it, back, uh, head, brain, plenty of aching joints. If you've got a chemist where you can sort it all out. Oh, get your glucosamine, Edge. That'll help you out with those aching joints, mate. And uh, and if you just want a bit of peace and relaxation, get the Ashwagandha Plus for 1997. Using Western Ayurvedic medicine in India for hundreds of years, it'll help you out. And if you need some sleep, or well, you get along and uh, get yourself the BioGlan uh, sleep 
Kids Plus and it will help your kiddies get off to sleep nice and easy. Where do you go? Of course, you go to Kevin's Warehouse, boys, where the great savings are every single day. Well, I'm going to stack for us. Um, where are you going to start? Oh, I do, Rob. We're going to start with Socceroos and Matilda Central, which is, of course, for the Green and Gold Army. Packages are selling fast for the 2022 Qatar World Cup, so do not delay a moment longer. Head to ggatravel.com.au. You'll be able to see the Socceroos take on France, Tunisia, and Denmark. And, Michael, there'll be access to a training session. I believe that's before the Tunisia clash. That is correct. Yeah, get along. Um, that Everything's going actually really well. So... Um, things are things are really building momentum now, and uh, our tour program it keeps ticking up in terms of the numbers of people each week. So we're very very excited. I've said it before, and I've said it again. You would be mad to miss, so get in for goodness sakes. Get in ggatravel.com.au. Uh, we'll start with some young Matildas action. Leah Blaney and twenty three young Matildas have commenced a ten day training camp in Mexico. We know the under twenty women's World Cup is coming up in Costa Rica early next month. Uh, during this ten day camp, they're going to play a closed doors match against Mexico and a bit of a tune-up. Uh, a further nine shadow players on top of the 23 have been named to continue training with their respective clubs. A final 21 is going to be named by late July before they head to Costa Rica. Uh, and 16 of the 23 in camp recently partook in the AWF Women's Championship in the Philippines. So we did have a little bit of a chat about uh, what was going to be gained from that tournament. There you go. 16 of the 23 uh, got a bit of form behind them internationally before they head to the under-20 uh, World Cup. Michael, how are you seeing preparations for this tournament? Uh, keeping in mind, we're going to play Costa Rica, the hosts, Brazil and Spain. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a, a wonderful experience for um, all of those young women that are, are representing Australia at the Under-20 Women's World Cup. They've got their uh, task ahead of them playing some big nations in Brazil and Spain and, and the host nation in the opening match as well. So uh, how good's that? There'll be 55,000 Costa Ricans at the opening match, you would think. So what a great experience for them. Um, oh, but they've had a busy time, these girls. Don't forget, some of them are... Um, uh, uh, studying at universities and a few few of them are actually studying their year 12 you know final year at school and they've been um, all over the place of recent times up to the Philippines they've been in training camps uh, trying to combine their local club activities in NPL as well as uh, overseas for some of them so yeah it's a very exciting time and they're off to Mexico uh, where they've got a training camp before they head down to Costa Rica for their first game in a couple of weeks and um, as very special mentions to two uh, young women that I work very closely with, uh, Jessica Nash and uh, Paige Joyce, who uh, found their way into those in, into that squad. And um, uh, I wish them all the best and uh, I hope they have a wonderful time, uh, play some fabulous football and um, come back uh, better people and better players because of it. And Rob, I've got some great news. We know, and we've spoken ad nauseum about how hard it is to watch football over the past couple of years. You've got to have KO, you've got to have Paramount, you've got to have uh, all sorts going on. If you could help me out with a couple of the others, which don't come to mind at the moment. But guess where this one's going to be? Uh, well, tell me. But before you do, I just want to quickly give a shout out for, of course, the Junior Matilda squad, which was named uh, in the past week as well, uh, to the, the niece of, of our great sponsor, uh, Hoyt's Food. Uh, Isabella Ricardo was selected in that squad as well to, to travel to. So um, so I just wanted to make uh, that acknowledgement of the AWF under 18s uh, women's championship um, yeah fantastic that is Rob absolutely brilliant so yeah very excited thanks Edge and um, and I know our friends at Hoyts are super excited so sorry to digress there Willem you asked me to guess Uh, I'm not going to guess I'm going to ask you to tell us 
Good old trusty SBS. Oh, excellent. The soccer broadcasting service. Always Fantastic. reliable and nice and free, which is important these days. Mm-hmm. Separately, the Junior Matildas will begin the AWF Under-18 Women's Championship. As you mentioned, Rob, in Palembang, Indonesia. They're going to play Malaysia, Myanmar, and the Philippines. Uh, 28 players have been selected by Ray Dower. And that is going to be the Junior Matildas' first football, would you believe, since this tournament three years ago where they finished fir- uh, fourth. So they are the... Uh, they are the last Australian national team to return to action post-COVID. Also returning to action this week was Jackson Irvine in the Bundesliga 2. This is the season proper, and he helped St. Pauli to an opening day victory. Uh, 3-2, they won over Nuremberg, and he opened the scoring. Rob Jackson, keeping the good times rolling. Absolutely. Well, he's in great form, and uh, I guess you know, you've just come off the back of a, a World Cup vacation, um, um, and uh, you know, you're all excited about that. You, you're up and about, and you, you, you know, you, you're bound to... Um, be uh, bristling with uh, the uh, enthusiasm to uh, to go back to your club football. So hopefully um, they can finish this season off St Pauli the way they started last because, geez, they were on track for a long, long time for promotion and uh, and that is a quality um, uh, club they've got down at the Millen Tour. And um, I know uh, if... Um, oh God, if I ever get the chance to, to, to watch um, that club while Jackson's there, um, hopefully in the next couple of years we might... Um, uh, understand that it is just literally one of the best atmospheres of any any footballing uh, uh, ground in the world. Lydia Williams will not have her Arsenal contract renewed. She managed 12 appearances across the league and Champions League last season. Good news though, have you heard these links, Michael, that she might be headed to PSG? You suspect if that does come through, she'd probably be the number two there as well, but uh, one huge club to another. Yeah, that is massive news if she goes to PSG. Um, you know, there's a, bit, a lot of debate in Europe about, um, you know, what is the better competition, whether it's France or whether it's uh, England. And uh, I'm in camp that f- the, f- the French competition is much better than the Women's Super League. So uh, the more Australians that find their way into France, the better off it'll be. And uh, I'm sure if that happens and the rumours come true, Willem, I'm sure Lydia will enjoy a life in Paris for a little while. Nothing wrong with that either. Good fun. Uh, the National Women's Soccer, Soccer League is back in the US as well. Not quite the Aussie stronghold it wants was following the growth of those European leagues uh, in recent seasons. I remember my first probably year on the program was spent seemingly endlessly just clicking around the uh, results in the National Women's Soccer League for this segment. Emily Van Egmont is there. Alex Chidiak is there as well. They were in action for San Diego Wave and racing Louisville in a nil-all draw this week. And Chloe Legazzo has resumed training with Kansas City following her knee reconstruction. Rob, the Australia Cup is back as well. We spoke to Teo Palazzari last week for a preview uh, there. Matches over the next week that you need to know about. Heidelberg against Brisbane Raw at Olympic Village. Brisbane City City will play Cockburn City. Wollongong United will play Green Gully. Now, Wollongong are the side who play in the Illawarra, uh, that, Illawarra, blah, Illawarra Premier League, uh, the sixth tier of Australian football, uh, former club of Milos Dijovsky, Scott Chipperfield, Marshall Soper and Zlatko Nostevsky. Uh, they have Green Gully. And Adelaide City will play Logan Lightning. Uh, and that is the Australian football wrap. Well, that's exciting news. Edge, will you be back in time to, to get up to um, watch your burgers? Uh, no, I won't. I'll just be one week late. That's all right. I'll catch him in the last 16. I'll be watching via the the, uh, 10 and Paramount app, which I've got a secret way of getting over here. And uh, looking forward to that, I'm going to sit here in the middle of the afternoon. I'm going to close the office door, tell everyone to leave me alone (laughs) and watch the burgers. Nothing like a VPN to... Bump the geo block. Correct. Yeah, we all love exactly. a VPN. Oh, we do. Sure. <laughs> we should get one on as a sponsor. And to our Brisbane Raw fans, just in case you happen to win and you are listening, that, uh, um, that yeah, I think they uh, stand a fairly reasonable chance against uh, against those great burgers up at Olympic Village. All right, boys. Uh, well done. Thank you, Willem. Um, 
take a, a little rest, both of you, uh, because uh, Derek and I are going to handle this conversation next with uh, Liam Toomey from The Athletic. It's the new era at Chelsea, nearly two decades on. Uh, no more Roman Abramovich. It's Todd Bowley and his consortium. Now, what does it look like uh, for Thomas Tuchel and, uh, and of course, Sam Kerr, uh, some as we've already discussed in the show, big news. Uh, be interesting to hear what Liam has to say about Sam as well. That is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, as we set off the top of the show, the 19-year Roman Abramovich era is over at Stamford Bridge. The club won 21 trophies, five Premier League titles and two Champions Leagues amongst them in that era. But it's now the Todd Bowley and his broader consortium uh, era in the 22-23 uh, season to talk to us about the changes at the club and and what the uh, the uh, feeling around the club is uh, now and uh, and a sense of where it might go in the future is the Athletics, Liam Toomey. Welcome back to the show, Liam. Thanks for having me back. Not at all, mate. And, uh, you know, in, in so far as the broader world context, uh, you, you don't often see uh, world events shaping um, the future of a football club, but uh, clearly for all of the reasons that um, our listeners are aware of that change was was very sudden uh, it seems to me that um, the landing uh, with the, the expertise and and sporting knowledge of uh, the consortium that that's taken over 4.25 billion world record um, it couldn't have been a, a better landing yeah I think it's been a um, a fairly reassuring start um, you know the ownership change that brought to an end a, a very dizzying few months as you as you say you know for Chelsea fans so I think there was always hope given the nature of the process, even though it was sped up, you know, there were so many bidders considered um, by Rain Group and, and, and the Chelsea hierarchy that, that there was always hope that the the group that would come out of this um, would be responsible custodians of the club. That was, you know, that was what everyone involved was saying they were looking for. And, um, and you know, there's, there's still an awful long way to go we're in the very early stages of of the Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital era but um I think a lot of Chelsea fans are cautiously optimistic based on what they've seen um and and of course a couple of signings have started to arrive now which always reassures fans um and and Thomas Tuchel seems to be pretty happy with the way the summer planning is going as well yeah, it does uh, seem that way from from the uh, the outside. And uh, you look at some of those signings. Obviously, uh, amongst many big names, the biggest of them all is Raheem Sterling. Uh, he was uh, courted by a number of clubs, uh, and uh, and there was some talk at different points of uh, of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, uh, joining the club. That's not going to happen now. What's your sense of of transfer business that's been done, and and how Tuchel uh, might rearrange the the uh, the way the, the the team goes about it? Well, the process itself has been a little bit ad hoc. Um, at times, it seemed a little bit chaotic from the outside, and that's primarily because the old hierarchy have gone, um, and you have Todd Bowley and Thomas Tuchel both shifting into very unfamiliar roles. Todd Bowley is this interim sporting director, which is you know something he he never even did with the with the Dodgers, never mind in European football. And Tuchel, of course, um, has operated primarily as a head coach, not not with you know this much 
influence over a club's recruitment. So it's it, it's been a bit of a voyage of a discovery for both of them, I think. And of course, they've had disappointments in the transfer market as well, missing out on Rafinha in the end to Barcelona. But they've they brought in Sterling, who, as Tuchel said, was target number one. They brought in one really high quality defensive reinforcement, Kaladu Koulibaly. Um, a deal, incidentally, that I don't think the old Chelsea hierarchy would have done, given giving a 31-year-old uh, a four-year contract. Um, but it was much needed, given that Chelsea had lost Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen for nothing. Uh, and, and all the signs are there's there's more to come. They want two more defenders uh, and and potentially reinforcements elsewhere on the pitch as well. Yeah, they're also looking at Jules Kwande as well from uh, uh, Seville, as well as uh, Kimpembe from PSG. People have been less complimentary about the latter, but do you, do you think Kwande is the one to come in and play alongside Koulibaly? And does that mean the likes of Silva and Ake are really sort of being used as part of squad? Well, I think Kounde is someone that Chelsea as a club have been monitoring for a long time. Uh, and and of course the, the the deal was very close to happening last summer. He was, uh, my understanding is he was he was devastated when it didn't happen um, last summer. He was he was mentally prepared to leave Seville for London. Part of the vision here is whether Tuchel is going to continue with a back three or whether he's going to shift to a back four. Now I've been given the impression over the last few months that Tuchel is recruiting um, at least with an eye to giving himself the option to shift to a back four and that could influence what the what the centre-back situation looks like. Um, if he sticks with a back three, I think you, you could probably see Kunde slotting in on the right of that, given where he played with Sevilla, either centre-back or right-back. Um, Koulibaly played as a left-sided centre-back at, at Napoli, although he moved around a little bit, so he could make the middle or on the left and, and Kimpembe fits the, the brief of a left-sided centre-back that Tuchel really wants to directly fill the, the void left by Rudiger. So you're, you're talking about pretty much an entirely new defence, which is a bit of a challenge to bed in during pre-season. And it's another reason why I think Tuchel ideally wants these players um, over the line as soon as possible. Liam, I saw the signing of Ake with some interest. And this isn't the first time that Chelsea have bought back a player that that was originally on the books. Obviously, Lukaku came back last season. There's obviously examples of players that have been on the books that have, have gone on to have amazing careers, whether that be De Bruyne or uh, Mo Salah. Do you think that's something that Chelsea could look at in the future and go, well, maybe it's you know better to try and hang on to some of these players or you know, have, have some of the process there? Or is it just a simply a case of that Chelsea have just got such a big squad and often they're, you know, there's tens of players on loan at any one time? Is that something that maybe that Bully may address going forward? Well, it doesn't actually look like Chelsea are going to sign Ake now. Ah. Um, I mean, they they had mentioned to Pembe and Kunde now as the as the two defenders for the lead point. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think any of the owner without the potting back um, a four minute with players that they've they've the last couple of years um you know they 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 have bylaws in tammy abraham um tino levento at southampton um and not not on for Tamori, unfortunately i know a lot of chelsea fans would like to see him back but i think 
any any future sales of academy players will probably take that option into consideration as well. Chelsea don't want to be left in more situations where players that they have developed or once had on the books are ascending to world-class status elsewhere. Um, so that's all part, I think, of the the broader efficiency that, that Bowley and Clear Lake want to see from Chelsea, a, a greater efficiency than we saw in the Abramovich era. The next uh, game up for Chelsea is... Arsenal uh, in Florida and that will take place over the weekend. Um, Arsenal of course have been doing their own strengthening um, as they look to to assault the uh, the Champions League places. Do, do you think this is a you know this is a pre-season friendly so let's see it for what it is but is this a good test for Chelsea and do you think they're looking up or down at the moment because clearly those top teams um, you know they pulled away quite considerably from Chelsea last season and with Arsenal and Tottenham's recruitment being quite strong, is it a, a case of the looking down and up at the same time? Yeah, I, th- I think the game itself is a is a good test, primarily because most Premier League teams are at similar stages of their preseason preparations at the moment. So you you know you're not playing an MLS team that might be a lot further along physically than you are. So in that in that sense, it's maybe more directly comparable in terms of where Chelsea and, and Arsenal are in their programs. But the looking at the table this year, yeah, I do think Chelsea um, will be looking over their shoulders. It, you know, they they needed significant surgery to the squad just to remain at the level that they were last year because you, you lost two key players in defence and they've still got work to do on that front. Whereas Arsenal and Tottenham have been in, in the business of adding to what they already have. And, and Tottenham in particular have been incredibly proactive in, in trying to give Antonio Conte the, the, the level of squad that he wants. It's quite, he's quite a hard man to satisfy, but he seems quite satisfied at the moment, uh, which, which into this season, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really um, put Chelsea as, as title contenders. It's, it's obviously not impossible, but it, it, it looks very difficult given Chester City now. And today, probably a good achievement given how much longer given that Arsenal have real momentum, you'd expect them at the likes of Saka, Smith, Rowe, Martinelli all to, to make leaps internally as well. Um, and Manchester United, of course, are spending and, and have a have a new coach with, with some bright ideas. So it, it, it's going to be difficult. I think the big six is going to be very, very competitive to try and fit into that top four. Uh, and, and Chelsea's only priority, given the disruption they've had and the change of ownership and the fact that they're trying to make up ground should be consolidating their place in that top four. Then we never get you on without asking, of course, uh, about uh, the the women's game and, of course, Sam Kerr. The the big news in the last couple of days is that uh, she's now going to be alongside the French superstar Kylian Mbappe on the the cover of the FIFA 23 Ultimate Edition. So her uh, global superstardom has uh, stepped up to another level. Uh, They've come off the back of of winning the the Women's Super League. We're watching with interest the quality of of women's football at at the Women's Euros right now. Um, your sense of uh, of the Women's Super League coming up off the back of these Women's Euros uh, it kicks off in September um, and, and, and will the country uh, uh, pay even more attention to uh, the, the game than it currently or previously has done? I think there's a real chance of that um, based on what we've seen from recent tournaments. I think with every with every World Cup in particular, but also Women's Euros to an extent, and this and this 
not just because it's on home turf from an England perspective, certainly seems to, to me to be the most covered, the most exposed women's Euros um, from a media discussion point of view and from a broadcast point of view um, that I've seen. And I think we, you know, we have witnessed in the wake of these tournaments, the domestic competitions getting an, an extra bump. Um, so I, I can only hope that there is even more interest in next year's WSL season. I think it's it's developed into a great competition, a really high quality competition, probably the, the highest quality domestic league in the women's game in the last few years. We had a great title race between Chelsea and Arsenal last year. I'd expect Manchester City to come roaring back as well. Um, so it's, it's really competitive at the top end. You've got great personalities. I mean, I was I was at the FWA dinner when when Sam Kerr uh, got the Women's Footballer of the Year award. She was <laughs> she's quite shy on stage as a talker. She doesn't seem like she wants to be to have all eyes on her. But I think she has to get used to it, <laughs> yep. given the way that she's playing. Because a couple of days later, she scored those incredible goals to seal the title against Arsenal. And um, yeah, she fully deserves to be the cover athlete for for the new FIFA and, and everything else that, that's coming her way based on who she's playing. And I think overall, it's just great for the profile of the, of the, of the women's game. And I, I can see, I think it's been a really good women's Euros already. The England game, the England Spain game was, was excellent to watch excellent theater, really high quality um, from a technical perspective as well. And I think WSL is going to keep going from, from strength to strength and, and hopefully it gets the attention it deserves. Yep, well said, mate, and I agree 100%. And hopefully Sam comes home in tip-top form after the following season for a uh, uh, an equally good uh, Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand at the back end of next year. Hey, Liam, thanks again for joining us as always, mate. Um, we'll be watching uh, with uh, with keen interest in a couple of weeks' time when the, the season kicks off to see if uh, if Chelsea uh, can uh, can keep the momentum going and um, and uh, uh, continue to be uh, one of those uh, top four uh, championship trophy winning premiership uh, uh, clubs that uh, that they have been for the past couple of decades. Appreciate it, guys. Speak to you soon. Not at all, Liam Timmy from the Athletic. Always uh, super generous with his time. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could ball. This is Box to Box. It is stoppage time. Fourth official's given plenty of time. Uh, great chat with Liam Toomey there. We might touch on a few of the points he made, including a, a little yarn we had with him off air about the women's Euros and some of his observations there. But uh, before we get to it, uh, we did our, uh, our food wrap last week from the Middle East, I think. Uh, uh, but that's because we have got a wonderful new partner. I've been with us for a couple of weeks now, the great the great Hoyt's Food. That is Hoyt's Herbs, Spices, Pickled Vegetables. They've got everything. Now, without Hoyt's Spices, you know, your roast chicken at home, it's just roast chicken. You know what you want to make? Make a rub with some Hoyt's cumin, paprika, turmeric, and cinnamon. Rub it into your chicken with a little olive oil. Roast it for about, well, I don't know, an hour and 20. Based beautiful absolutely delicious it's better than anything you'll buy down at the local uh, charcoal chicken joint change the mood of your food with white herbs and spices available at coles woolworths and all good independent supermarkets derek i know you are a bit of a foodie yourself and you like to cook your herbs and spices what are your favorites well, I know that I've got some Hoyt's bay leaves in the uh, in the pantry, and 
Baileys are always good for when you want to cook something rich, like a curry. You chuck a couple in, just adds an extra layer of depth to whatever you're cooking, Rob. Sure does. And Edge, um, I know I've seen some of your barbecue action, mate. You're pretty handy with that. Oh, I love love the barbecue and uh, I love uh, a good uh, dry rub on a nice piece of uh, pork belly or a nice uh, lamb shoulder or even uh, the beef brisket, Rob. So we get, get that going into the, uh, the barbecue with a hood and uh, a bit of slow cooking and, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to doing that uh, when the weather improves. Well, boys, I'm going to get you a nice little package of horch herbs and spices from our good friend Johnny Accardo down there. Make sure that you can cook it up and send some uh, taste sensations in, of course. All right, boys, it's stoppage time. Um, we uh, Well, let's let's get back to those women's Euros, Derek. Uh, look, I think you and I were chatting off air when, when you um, started watching it. Um, you, you were particularly uh, concerned. Um, England really got out of jail. Oh, there certainly did. Uh, yeah, when I saw that they were 1-0 nil, nil down in a game that they were favourites to win, there was definitely a, a feeling of, oh no, not again uh, for, for England. I think England fans, men's England fans certainly know that feeling uh, pretty well. And and uh, as you know, I'm not a big fan of the, the men's team, but I'm prepared to give the ladies, ladies a crack, uh, particularly as they're playing so well. But yeah, um, Spain just owned them. I mean, the look on the... Spain manager's face at the end of the game uh, said it all. He was just stunned, really. Uh, England got two chances, scored two goals. Spain had an absolute hatful of chances. I mean, to be fair to England, it was the first goal that they'd conceded in the tournament. It was a well-worked move. Uh, but then England did started applying the pressure in the second half. And when uh, the, the Manchester United combo of Russo and Toon combined with Toon providing the finish, you kind of felt after that that uh, that England would probably do the job uh, because the momentum had shifted. The the Amex, you know, must be said again, was the atmosphere was excellent uh, inside the ground. The Spanish were felt aggrieved by that goal as well. I, I mean, I didn't see much wrong with it. I thought Russo climbed well and got a header in to, to get it across the goal and, and Toon put it in. And, and what, a, what an amazing goal to uh, to win it as well there in the uh, in extra time and England England held held on and will play Belgium or Sweden next um Robbie any your you watched uh, the game too what were your reflections yep yeah, I mean pretty much what you just said I mean I, I thought that uh, at that 80 odd minute mark uh, Serena Weidman was looking worried on the on the touch line I listened to uh, an interview post match on the BBC to her credit uh, when she was asked uh, how difficult it was to make the changes that she made she just said look at that point um, and I'm paraphrasing her here, when it looks like you're going home, it's not difficult to make the decisions. You just have to do what needs to be done to get yourself back in the game and win it. So uh, I think that's the winning attitude. And I think England also were quite lucky. It's the one percenters, isn't it, often in these matches. Now, Serena Wiegman was not meant to be at that game. She had COVID. It was only three hours before the the, uh, the game kicked off that uh, it was confirmed that she would actually be in the technical area. So you've got to question whether her replacement would have been able to to step up. I mean, Wiegman has been appointed for the uh, uh, the very reason that she's come off the back of uh, of winning that tournament in its uh, last iteration. So uh, I think all of the, the the planets aligned for England. And um, I think the big concern is, and listening to some of the podcasts and reading some of the articles afterwards, is that is that do the the uh, the, the journalist uh, uh, 
group support uh, reporting on the event and, and the fans realize how how close they went to to being knocked out and the fact that um that they're more likely than not if sweden beat belgium to play that, that actually beat the usa in the olympics and went on to lose the gold medal final in sweden so i think there's a lot more work to do if england do win it they'll be deserved winners and they'll look back on this one as uh, as the lucky one that they had to skip through but uh, i wouldn't did you see much of that game yeah, I did, and um, uh, we're now into the danger zone, aren't we, for England, where we expectations is, you know, what's a realistic sort of independent of assessment of what they can do. They've just been so good in the group phase. Um, yeah, they were in all sorts of trouble, weren't they? They looked like they were going home, um, and who would have thought the goals came late, the controversy. Um, it made for um, yeah, really entertaining watching as, as a neutral, but, uh, yeah, I think you know, it's the danger zone time for England. The expectations of the country are high. Uh, they're at home. Uh, they've got to get the got to get the job done. You know, Spain hadn't performed that well in their uh, earlier group games. So uh, yeah, and if if uh, Sweden gets over the top of Belgium, which you would expect, wouldn't you, Rob, uh, on form lines, it sets up a just a huge semi final. By the time we talk next week, Jan, so we'll be looking at the final to uh, a wonder edge. Uh, you man who knows the the women's game inside out. He, can you have a prediction of who's going to be in that final? Obviously, it, yeah, I think we're saying it will be England and Sweden and one of them, and then you've got a pick of Germany versus Austria and then France and the Netherlands. Uh, who, who do you think we'll be, we'll be talking about this time next week? Oh, I think it'll be an England-France final. Uh, I, think right, the, wow. I think they're the teams that will uh, get through and uh, that'll be uh, something to write home about, won't it? Oh well, and absolutely. I, I, uh, I was. Um, there are some excellent teams left. I mean, I think as uh, Rob said, rule out Sweden at, at your peril, and Germany, of course, no mugs. But yeah, look, if we had a, you know, an, an England France final, what a what a prospect uh, that would be. Uh, going on to the transfers, we we do this is a regular segment in the show now. Don't think we've got anything to apologise for this week. We didn't call something wrong. I called something slightly wrong in the interview with Liam Toomey. Uh, Nathan Ake won't be joining Chelsea because they've uh, they've signed uh, Koulibaly and of course uh, are lining up Kwande as well from Seville. So I suppose that's the apology for the for the week. But the biggest one, and, and I know uh, Ed holds this player in high regard, that Robert Lewandowski uh, finally sealing his move to Barcelona for for 50 million euros. He's been given a four-year deal, Edge. He's 33 years old. Uh, uh, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of years for a player at his, in the twilight of his career. Is, is this good for Barcelona and for Lewandowski? Well, I think he's a superstar. And I think um, if Ronaldo can play until he's 37, 38, 39, why can't Lewandowski? I mean, he's scored unbelievably heavy over the last, uh, heavily over the last, um, you know, all his career that he... Just in the last three or four seasons, he's he's been taking records all before him. So why not? Why can't he not uh, perform um, as well as some of the other superstars who get into that stage? He keeps himself in very good condition. Um, he's a ice-cold striker in the traditional sense of the word that he takes his chances on a regular basis. Um, I think, uh, you know, we know what La Liga's like now. Um that uh, I think he'll be very comfortable in that competition for a period of time and and um, still be a very, very important and significant player at uh, Champions League campaigns uh, and also for his national team. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see how Barcelona go. They've obviously signed Hafinha as well from 
uh, from Leeds. Um, Lewandowski, of course, will pair up for the first time in a long time with Aubameyang as well. They were both at Borussia Dortmund, so that that, that pair being reunited in the uh, twilights of, of their careers. But yeah, I think it, watch this space, I think, with Barcelona, because it's an interesting group that they've brought together. Bayern fans will be consoled by the fact that they've signed out, well, I think a fantastic centre-back, Matthias De Ligt from Juventus. He's on a five-year deal, and I think for €77 million, Euro, that is a snip. Uh, he's still one of the brightest young prospects in world football. And uh, yeah, I just, he obviously didn't work out for him at Juventus and he's gone to, gone to Bayern and to play in that uh, defence. So let's keep an eye on him. Uh, Arsenal have signed Alexander Shevchenko. Uh, sorry, let me start again. <laughs> Arsenal haven't signed Shevchenko. That is a deal probably 10 to 15 years too late. Um, but Alexander Zinchenko comes uh, from Manchester City and the second of... Uh, a second Man City cast off, as some people have been calling it, uh, in a 30 million deal. He'll join Jesus, of course, and he can operate all across the midfield and he can play at left back where Arsenal have injury concerns constantly over Kieran Tierney. But he was excellent in that game against Scotland uh, that got Ukraine to the uh, to the uh, to the Euros uh, to the World Cup. Sorry, so you know. Good signing for the, for the Gunners there. And Zlatan, another year of us talking about Zlatan. He is uh, going to be signing a further uh, year at Milani, of course, led them to the title uh, last season. And he, and he still looked pretty, pretty handy. So another year of us chatting about him as well, gents. So not much else going on. Uh, Dybala's gone to Roma on a free transfer. That's a that's a heck of a free transfer. You can pick up a Argentinian uh you know, national team striker in the in the prime of his career. So I, I noted that was a bit of a coup for Jose Mourinho. But I wanted to go on next to Rob talk about these matches that you've been at uh, the MCG. You've you've seen Manchester United twice now. I just, you know, I suppose it's rare that we have a man on the spot to talk about the teams firsthand. I might get you to address the supposed booing of Harry Maguire. Um, how much is was that a factor? What was it? Just something that the media's picked up and, and hyped up. And how do you think United were looking generally? I think it's convenient for those of us who, who follow the game and um, and you know your classic Euro snob uh, supporter who we talked about with Mike Tuckerman earlier on in the show to to dismiss um, the importance of these games. And I'm guilty as charged at, at, at some times, but um, I'll give credit where it's due. I think this winter festival of football, which uh, the Ten Network Paramount Plus have been involved with uh, has been done quite well in the broader context of the the, uh, the friendlies that have been played throughout Asia and America uh, to see Manchester United up close with uh, you know the, the, the names you you, you, you uh, talk about Manchester United as, as a, a shadow of themselves but when you see the names um, on the park like in Rashford and Sancho and Fred and Bruno Fernandes you know McTominay Luke Shaw Harry Maguire Victor Lindelof you know these are big international footballing names and uh, uh, you talk about the, the booing of Harry Maguire that, that wasn't um, uh, exaggerated that, that that really did feel like a, um, a, um, a, a constant uh, uh, 
refrain throughout you know the better part of I, I timed it at about 16 minutes when when it seemed to stop and and you just wonder whether there were were um, um, a, a bunch of people just jumping on the bandwagon and booing for no other reason than uh, than uh, they they'd uh, known that uh, Harry Maguire had, had self-declared as coming off uh, uh, one of his poorest seasons and uh, and I, I found it pretty distasteful and I, I was disappointed that um, the MCG um, crowd behaved that way um, to um, to a player who um, you know he's really done nothing wrong other than play you know a relatively poor season of football he's 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 got no other uh, bad rap about him so you know I, I didn't like that more broadly hang on um, Rob what about his performance in the Greek islands during COVID when he slipped over there and uh, uh, and run amok I mean, I mean come, come on, on. Edge, he's, not that, the, uh, he's, he's not that, the he's uh, not the He's not a clean skin, uh, but he's he's not a bad boy. Seriously, is he? I mean, God Almighty! I mean, don't you surely? Uh, are we all going to be hung up for for playing up in the Greek islands when we've been on the gas? Uh, well, I mean, that's maybe um, Rob. That's maybe underplaying it a little bit. But I mean, what's wrong with booing a pom at the MCG? We've been doing it for 150 years, Rob. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that, fair enough. And I, I was one of those people who thought that um, that uh, uh, in in the rugby, um, Eddie Jones overreacted a little bit. Uh, but that's another game and another story altogether. Hey, but Rob, can I ask a, a question um, from from my perspective? Um, I um, I don't like the friendlies between the uh, that's like you know when Crystal Palace played Manchester United. But I'm mm. warming. Mm. Uh, in fact, I'm more than warming. I'm, I'm really embracing the friendlies against the international teams when a local A-League team plays. And I thought that adds a lot of um, – it, it just I think it has a, a much bigger, better impact on the development of the game and mm-hmm. um, engagement of people. Um, I, I thought the Manchester United versus Melbourne victory atmosphere, looking at it from afar, uh, you know, on the highlights of, of the various broadcasts, uh, carriers but i thought that was a, a much more significant sort of um, atmosphere and event than the crystal palace manchester united uh, game would you agree yeah, no, I do. It's particularly given that we now know that the victory supporters and the active supporters are starting to come back to the club and and be more engaged, and they were certainly there. And the fact that you nearly had seventy five thousand at that game uh, as well, uh, you know, the, the Chris Economides goal set up beautifully by Ben Falami five minutes in definitely obviously helped that. The fact that uh, that they not only scored the first goal and uh, and held them uh, United for the better part of the first half, and you know they were unlucky from a, a rebound to 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 uh, to um, uh, uh, equaliser, at least concede the equaliser, and then it definitely uh, uh, was unfortunate that they went into the break um, a, a goal down. But yeah, to your point, Edge, I, I agree with that. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not uh, down on on the two Premier League clubs. I mean, I've talked about uh, a young fellow that uh, um, that does some work for for my youngest bloke, Alexander. He's a carer. He's actually training to be a lawyer and he's a, a former uh, a Birmingham boy himself who follows uh, Villa and he went up with his dad to uh, to uh, Lang Park Suncorp Stadium to watch the, the Villa Leeds match and, and they had the time of their life. He came back, he sat behind the goal um, at the um, at the end where the goal was scored um, by Danny Ings and uh, you know, he just loved it. So I think there's a lot of expats support there as well. So, you know, I, I think uh, for, for what they are, uh, we, um, we uh, I think, should give credit where it's due because we've certainly been critics in the past. Yeah, Rob, and uh, you mentioned Aston Villa. I suppose one quick line as we wrap up stoppage time, and that is that their rivals, Birmingham City, look like they're going to be bought out by Maxi Lopez, the uh, former Barcelona and AC Milan striker. So Mm -hmm. they're going to buy a significant stake in the club, look to, to take over the club over the next couple of years. 
because it will end a couple of back-to-back owners that haven't promised a lot but not delivered for for the blue noses so i think if you were to scout around england and look for a club to buy i don't think you could look much better than birmingham city to be honest it's uh you know got a huge catchment area there's a lot of there's a lot of history there so yeah i think it just goes to show that you know even below the premier premier league now there are players that, are, that there are clubs that people are interested in and i reckon that's a, a nice little piece of business and we'll, we'll keep an eye on Birmingham City to see if uh, they might be doing their Australian tour one day, Rob. Well, that would be lovely to see because I know Edge would be there with his old mate, our old mate Dino Hennessy and we better not let you off the leash, Edge, to start talking about that because uh, you will uh, you will wax lyrical. So All I can say is thank God somebody's bought that club because, you know, the, they've had a litany of owners from Hong Kong hairdressers to other sort of fraudsters, but uh, thank God that's happening and let's hope that they can get that club going again because it's a beauty. The Blue Noses, they are a beauty. Yeah, absolutely, mate. All right, Edge. Uh, thank you again, as always, my friend. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. We certainly will. And uh, nice to hear Derek uh, just uh, doing his work with a, a beautiful interview with Liam Toomey, talking all things Chelsea. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, excellent. Well done, Derek. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone. And uh, to Willem, who's uh, tapping away behind the scenes, preparing some of the articles to post on the show. And, of course, our good friend Damien Tardio, who presses the buttons and makes sure we sound as good as we can each week. Thank you, of course, for listening to box to box yet again. Uh, next week will be our 350th episode. Can you believe that? Since 2015. Thank you for everyone who's been along for the ride and everyone who's joined us recently. Please make sure you subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.